Why do you say what you're saying? How are you going to back it up? Research papers need reasons and evidence, which is what we're talking about today on Surviving Seminary. Hello, everybody. My name is Kevin Sutherland, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Stark. Hello. And we are continuing our writing suite this week, but uh, via a conference tool, which shall not be named. That's right. We're talking to one another uh, through our computers, and um, I'm locked away in the closet, and my kids are outside the room wa- in, in the room watching TV. Um, so lovely stuff going on for recording, right? I've got a lawnmower that I can hear out the back uh, window, and so who knows what kind of interruptions we might have. But that's all right. Um, I'll just edit them out anyway. So today we're going to be talking about the next step forward in the research writing process. Last time we talked about the idea of the thesis, the short, concise statement of what your paper is about and what your contribution to the research conversation is. And now we're moving on to the things that have to branch out from that. Because as soon as uh, someone reads what your thesis is, the next question that's going to be on their mind is, why do you say that? Why is it that you think that this, uh, this particular interpretation or this particular answer is the way that people ought to see it? And those are called reasons. The other part of it is evidence, which is how do you know and how can you back up those reasons? Um, there's some other differences as well that uh, they talk about in the craft of research, but um, they say that we use our minds to think up of reasons, but we have to search for evidence, quote, out there, quote, in the world, then make it available for everyone to see. And I think it's important to remember that we're not just coming up with reasons on the fly and then looking for evidence in order to back up the reason that we thought of. You know, this isn't coming from whole cloth. That would be kind of the wrong way to do it. Ultimately, everything that that you're researching and everything that you're reading is going to Um, contribute to what you would call evidence eventually. And all Mm -hmm. that evidence is going to get synthesized together and it is going to create reasons in your mind for something that you're coming to as far as a conclusion is concerned, also known as your thesis. So these things are very much interrelated and flow with each other and, uh, and help you push your research forward. Yeah. Um, so the reasons are basically supporting assertions for your claim. We talked in the last episode about claims and theses and things of that. So your reasons are another layer of evidence that support, excuse me, not evidence, support for those claims. But they're usually kind of like interpretations of the data uh, whereas the evidence is the kind of empirical data that we can employ uh, to support those reasons. And Kevin, you're very much in uh, the thick of all this right now, probably more so than I am. Could you talk a little bit about your particular experience right now? 
Yeah. So right now I'm preparing to work on my dissertation, which concerns uh, the historical aims of Greco-Roman biographers as compared to the Gospels. Uh, so I'm trying to show that both these wider biographers as well as the gospel writers were concerned with historicity. Uh, they're trying to be historically accurate. That's awesome. So, yeah. Um, so I might start with a claim, uh, which remember is what we talked about in the last uh, podcast. It's that the gospel writers intended their works to be read as historical documents. And then to support it, I might want to include a reason, which can also be kind of like a subclaim, um, and say, because Greco-Roman biographers also sought to make their works as historically accurate as possible. So if you see that, uh, I am supporting my thesis that gospel writers intended to write historical documents by citing that uh, Greco-Roman biographers also did that. But that's something that is in my head right now. I haven't given any evidence. That is a reason. And a lot of the reasons, at least in their elementary form, usually start with a because type of a statement. Um, so the questioning reader, though, uh, they may not think that I've won them over enough yet. So I could either put forth another reason or I could put evidence at this point. Uh, however, eventually I'll have to put forth evidence whether I go with another reason or not. And so some evidence that I might set forth here would be examples from Greco-Roman biographers where they evaluate and cite their sources, perhaps publicly repudiating accounts that seem implausible, especially in instances where it hurts their overall point uh, that they're trying to make. So like times where they might mention uh, a character flaw of a person that they're trying to praise because, unfortunately, even good people make mistakes. Um, so the evidence in that example came from outside of my mind. I had to go and find and show the texts that were written by others to illustrate my point and my reason. Yeah, for me, an example is how I'm working right now on the passage from Joshua chapter 5 about um, the circumcision after the crossing of the Jordan. So wonderful, um, fun subject matter to talk about. But basically, I'm taking a look at the all the different versions, like obviously the Hebrew text, but obviously the Greek translation, the Septuagint, and looking at the differences between the story in those two versions and what I'm starting to think is, is the case is that the Septuagint reflects an earlier, it, 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 it looks back to a Hebrew text from which it was translated that is earlier than what we see like when we open up a Hebrew Bible. Hmm. And the reasons that I have for that, I, I have the reason that it looks to me like what the Hebrew text has, which is longer than the Septuagint, um, those things look like they are overly like redundant and piling on explanations for things that to me, when you compare it, both of these versions have the same basic backbone to them and show that they both come basically from the same place. And yet the Hebrew text adds a lot of things that to me um, seem like they're extraneous and going 
to extra lengths to explain something specific that isn't there in the other shorter version. So that's a reason. And then I need to go further, obviously, and present more reasons and more evidence um, that kind of branch out from that. So not as thorough of an example as you bring forth, Kevin, but that's kind of my side of things. I just wanted to give some more examples that other seminarians from other fields might have. Like, you know, if you're a counseling student, then a reason might be like some theory that's going on of why people be act a certain way. And then your evidence would be maybe like his like surveys or interviews with people, counseling sessions, those kinds of things. That would be your evidence that you've got to use to support your reasons, which supports your claim. Right. And this this whole hierarchy, I think, that we've been describing here, I think, it, I think that's a good use, word to use for that. It's a hierarchy mm -hmm. here where the most prominent and like the most central thing is your thesis. And supporting that, you have to have reasons for what you're saying, and you have to have evidence to back up your reasons. It's kind of like a chain. Um, and mm -hmm. you can kind of think of it as maybe another, maybe another pyramid or or like a web or something like that. There are a lot of good different visual images for you to think about here, but think about it in terms of that chain from thesis to reasons to evidence because the first that is reasons reasons are there to interpret your evidence that you're finding along the way and the second thing the evidence the evidence will end up supporting your reasons so as someone is reading um as someone is reading your paper you're going to have to take them along this journey and you're mm -hmm. going to have to show them all of these things so that it is clear to them exactly what it is that you're saying. Yeah. And I like it in the pyramid because there's two different aspects of it. We've got our thesis, which is up at the top, and that kind of determines how we build our pyramid because we have to support it at just this place, wherever this metaphorical space is that we're creating. We want it to end up in this point but we have to then give reasons that support that. And then we need to get evidence that support those reasons. And so the bottom supports the top, but the top tries to help define the space that you're coming from. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And in thinking about it in terms of like a web, you could think about your thesis as kind of like the center point. It's mm -hmm. like the hub. I guess this is kind of mixing metaphors here because that's like right. a wheel. Um, but you could think of your reasons then. Let's say you have three reasons or something broadly in your paper. Mm -hmm. Then you could think of those as like three big spokes that, um, or at least the spokes connect to the reasons. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like like little, like the the thesis is a big circle and the reasons are smaller circles that that kind of orbit around. And then each one of those reasons has bits of evidence that are orbiting around it. So it's like a happy little solar system of research. We've gone from webs to wheels to solar systems, but okay. <laughs> right. I mean, what field are we in anyway? <laughs> astronomy. That, this is surviving astronomy school. <laughs> There's a lot to have to survive if you're out in space. <laughs> right. <laughs> so even if you have your reasons and your evidence 
laid out in a very clear fashion, there is still a chance that someone will be unconvinced, right, Kevin? Yep. And because of that, you're going to have to add a few more components to your paper. One of those components is um, is what are called acknowledgments, things that uh, you have to you have well you have to acknowledge them. Basically, these are the weak points of the argument that are still out there. They're like the chinks in the armor that mm -hmm. are vulnerable to uh, as far as your argument is concerned. And then there are also these things called warrants. Kevin, uh, remind us what a warrant is. So a warrant is where it may not be immediately apparent why this evidence supports this reason or this reason supports your claim. So this is where you're going to have to explain why what you're telling them is valid and supportive to the thesis. Maybe it's outside of people's, uh, your intended audience's uh, knowledge field for most people, or maybe it's they haven't looked at it, but you've got a way that they haven't looked at it before that actually does support what you're trying to say. So Great. that's an, uh, an example of a warrant. And so with that, uh, I guess a little bit of a teaser there concerning acknowledgements and warrants, we're going to leave that for next time. Um, we hope that you have benefited from this episode. We hope that you would also subscribe. Um, in the last few episodes that we're doing here, we're going to bring Surviving Seminary to a close very soon. And you can listen to all of our episodes at our website which is survivingseminary2019.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, podbean.com. You could also head over to our Facebook page, Surviving Seminary Podcast, and you can learn more about us there as well as send us a message and also get links to our email if you want to send an email to us. Until then, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye.